Amen. In our gospel reading this morning, which you've already heard read from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lists a number of attitudes that hopefully challenge you, even if they challenged me. Four of these are rather internal and kind of preparational for a life that he would hope that we would lead. And four of them are external and expressional, meaning we would probably show these to other people. So we're going to look at these together this morning and see if we cannot hear the voice of our Lord speaking to our hearts and our minds. And as a result, avoid hiding our happiness. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, there are three truths about living this abundant and happy life that I want you to notice. And this is the very first one, that God promises true happiness and then some. Jesus began that Sermon on the Mount by saying in some of the first verses, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, and on and on and on. Now the first thing I want to make a comment about is that word blessed, because quite often we try to say that in kind of a stained glass tone and we make it a two-syllable word. Blessed. Isn't that the way we kind of say it? But actually the way to pronounce it would be blessed, because how many of you got up this morning and say, My hair is messed because I didn't have time to get dressed. Now, that doesn't make much sense. But see, in English, it it is a religious-sounding word, but remember that Jesus did not speak English, and Matthew, who wrote this, also did not speak English. And the word that's used here in Matthew is not a religious word at all. In fact, it was part of their everyday normal vocabulary. The word that they would have spoken in Greek was makarios, and makarios is not a word, there's not a word in the English language that you can, that you can really translate it to, but blessed is probably, comes closer than any other word, which is why we tend to use that. But makarios is also translated in some Bibles as happy. But makarios means much more than happiness. In the Greek, makarios, it, it, it conveys the idea of being content, or being fulfilled, or being totally satisfied, or an idea of completion. They also used this word to describe the island of Cyprus. Uh, It was actually called Hey Makarea, which sounds pretty much close to that dance some of you probably uh, think of the Makarena. But the the Hey Makarea really means the happy island. And it was called that because Cyprus contained, as you can see, uh, just about everything that you would like that would make you happy. So what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and so on, he is saying, here are the ingredients for absolute contentment, absolute fulfillment and happiness in life. He said, you can be happy, you can be content, you can be fulfilled, you can be blessed. Now that's the kind of life that Jesus wants for each and every one of us. And as a follower of Jesus, I'm wondering how many of you started your day by saying, wow, isn't life great? I mean, can it get any better than this? None of you? I don't know. Every morning when I wake up, the very first words in my head and out of my mouth are, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I refuse to be a Lutheran who looks like he has been baptized in vinegar at a very young age. I want to be happy because that's what God has in store for me, to be happy, to be blessed, to be fulfilled, to have some joy in my life. So it is a blessed life. So whenever we use that word, 
Keep in mind that it is a powerful word that promises a life of God's goodness. And he promises us way more than happiness. In fact, true happiness often comes in unexpected ways. But Jesus' method of happiness is completely different than what our world today offers or tells us about. In fact, our culture really has it kind of opposite. In fact, I'm going to give you a few of uh, the world's um, beatitudes today. This is the way they would say it. They would say, blessed are the self-made men, for they are masters of their own destinies. Blessed are those who never mourn, for their life will be a bed of roses. Blessed are those who make up their own rules, for they'll answer to no one but themselves. Blessed are the aggressive, for they'll get whatever they want. And we can add even more to that. Blessed are those who show no mercy, for their enemies will fear them. Blessed are those who compromise their convictions, for they'll never offend anyone. Blessed are those with hearts of stone, for they'll never be hurt. Blessed are those who win the battle, for their enemies will become their slaves. And blessed be those who are recognized for their greatness and elevated to positions of celebrity, for they will be worshipped by many, many people. See, that's our society's prescription for happiness. And Jesus' method is really the exact opposite. That's why they're called the Beatitudes. And we're going to take a closer look at them. We're going to start here with Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does poor in spirit mean? Now, before you get worried, it has nothing to do with your wallet. It has nothing to do with the money in your pocket or your purse. The word poor means the poverty of a beggar on the street. And just like a beggar on the street is completely dependent upon the generosity of other people, we too are to be totally dependent on God. Poor in spirit is that attitude that we are to have when we approach God. It's not the attitude that we walk into church and say, well, I'm better than most people who are here and God is absolutely lucky that I'm on his side. That's not being poor in spirit. Rather, being poor poor in spirit is an attitude that says, God, without you, I am totally nothing. See, Jesus said, if that's your attitude, then you are blessed and the kingdom of God is yours. And then in verse four, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. In a strange way, Jesus is saying, happy are the sad. That kind of sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But the kind of mourning here that Jesus is talking about is the kind that results from being poor in spirit. It comes from knowing that God, without you, I am totally lost. And so people who understand that they are totally helpless without God can not help but feel sorrow over their sinfulness. And that kind of sorrow is really good because it leads to repentance. Something we've already done today is we confessed our sins and then heard the wonderful good news that Jesus forgives those sins. So Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn because mourning leads to spiritual growth. Suffering and mourning and sorrow can be a blessed event in your life because when you surrender to Jesus, it leads to joy and it leads to happiness. Then he says in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, you probably wonder why we have a horse up here, but but I'm going to tell you why. The Greek word for meek is the same word that's used to describe a wild horse that has been tamed. Now, does that wild horse still have its strength? Yes, but it is now strength under control. Meekness does not mean weakness. It means power under control. 
Someone who's meek is strong enough to be gentle, strong enough to be tender, but yet strong enough to be forceful when necessary. But just like that trained horse, the person doesn't do this on his or her own. He does it and is guided by his master. Now, if you read your scriptures, you can read all kinds about all kinds of people who have very strong personalities. People like Moses and Joshua and David and Deborah and Ruth and Mary and Jesus and Peter and Paul. Those characters all had very strong personalities, but their strength was used for God's glory. Why? Because it was under his control. Now, psychologists tell us there are really only three different kinds of people in this world. There are victims, there are victimizers, and there are the meek. Now, the question is, which one of those three are you? A victim, a victimizer, or are you a meek person? Well, I'll tell you, the meek are too strong to become victims, and the meek are too compassionate to become victimizers. Our prayer is that you would be a meek person. See, meek people are the people who tend to be heroes. These are the people who tend to be defenders and protectors. These are the people who stand up for people who are oppressed. They're able to do this because they have surrendered their strength to the Lord, and he uses it for his glory. So Jesus says, blessed are the meek, and he means blessed are those who don't let their power go to their head, but who totally surrender to God, who uses it as he sees fit. Then in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, this is probably my favorite of the Beatitudes. Jesus is saying, if you really want to be good, you'll be good. I mean, if you crave holiness, if you crave righteousness, a right standing with God, like a starving man, you are going to be filled Now, again, we go back to the Greek text. The Greek word for hunger refers to the hunger of a starving man. Now, what was the last time you were ever starving? Let me take you back to the days when I was a high school basketball coach in Illinois. My son, who played basketball for me, I can remember this happening any number of times. I could hear him come in the back door. Door would slam shut. I could hear the refrigerator door open. Boom, close. Then the pantry doors, one at a time. Bang, 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 bang. The hallway pantry, bang, 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 down the stairs, boom, 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 down to the freezer, whoop, boom, and he comes up, he says, Dad, there's no food in the house, and I'm starving. Well, when was the last time you absolutely never, ever had food in the house? Now, you may have felt like you were starving, but most of you look fairly well fed to me. Now, the Greek word for filled, though... It says the starving man will be filled, and that Greek word really means to be gorged. You're going you're gonna to eat like you're at the old country buffet. I mean, you're going to go back for seconds and thirds. And when it comes to righteousness and holiness, God says, the more you want, the more you can have. I'm happy to pour it on. And then in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, do you want to be more than happy? And I would say then, be willing to give other people a break from time to time. In other words, cut them some slack. Now, you may be right and they may be wrong, but keep this in mind. When you show mercy to someone else, you heap mercy on yourself. In verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, the Greek word here again for pure is katharos. It's from where we get our English word cathartic. Uh, It means to cleanse or purge or purify. Now, in Jesus' day, katharos was used in the Greek to describe an army that's been cleansed of all of its cowardly, disgruntled, inefficient soldiers. 
you know, they are washed out. They are eliminated from that. And so now the army now becomes clean and pure. Now, when Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart, and we're, let's say we're talking about you, we're talking about me, he's not talking about people whose hearts have always been pure. None of you have ever been pure your entire life. It was said of one actress one time, she's as pure as the new driven slush. Well, you'd have to live up north to understand what slush is out, but you Minnesota people know exactly what I'm talking about. We were conceived in sin, we were born in sin, and if you like a big seminary word, concupiscence, we just plain simple are sin. That's who we are. But when it talks about here, it talks about being made pure. Now, how we've been made pure, for many of you, it started right at a baptismal font, much like that, where you were washed, and when you were cleaned, and you were presented to be the Lord's child. Now, happiness doesn't come from being some sort of a jaded cynic. It comes from having a clean heart. Even David, in his psalm, after committing adultery and murdering Uriah, said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In verse 9, he talks about peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, this may be a little bit personal, but I'm going to tell you that in every church that I have ever pastored, in every church that I've ever belonged to, in every church I have ever attended or visited, there have been a handful of people who seem to thrive on conflict. They are just unhappy people, and their lot in life in that church seemed to be to make everybody else just as unhappy as they are. Now, don't be thinking about the person sitting next to you right now. I'm not talking about them, but you probably have had that happen. But at the same time, I want to tell you that in every church that I have ever belonged to, attended, been a pastor of or whatever, I have met some people who have an amazing capacity for bringing people together. They know how to nip conflict in the bud, and they can make the worst of enemies into the best of enemies. And as someone has said, so Cinderella, which shoe fits you? Are you that unhappy person who wants to make everybody else unhappy? Or could you possibly jolly up in Jesus and spread a little peace around. If you're a peacemaker, guess what you'll do? You'll dedicate your life by to making everything calm instead of stirring things up. And scripture says what? You will be called sons and daughters of God. See, when you play the part of a peacemaker, you're being just like our Heavenly Father. That's why Solomon could say here in Proverbs 23, it is an honor for a man to keep aloof. In other words, set aside from strife, but every fool will be Quarreling. If you want to be happy in the Lord, be a peacemaker. Verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, all Jesus is really saying is if you suffer ever for the name of Jesus, Guess what? That's pretty good news. You join a pretty fantastic crowd of people who've gone on ahead of you. In the Old Testament, all of the prophets were persecuted because of their stand for God. In the New Testament, all of the apostles were persecuted because they stood up for Jesus. And in fact, it still goes on today. There are still people around this world that are jailed and tortured because of their allegiance to Jesus. They have their heads cut off because they will not deny Jesus. Other people have been mocked or ridiculed, and persecution just happens all over the place. 
Now, it doesn't happen very often here in America, but I am sure that probably all of you have had at least one instance where maybe people thought a little bit less of you or even spoke unkindly of you because of your stance in saying, yes, I'm a Christian. I've been called a Jesus freak and a whole lot worse in my life. I don't mind. I don't mind standing with those people who stand up for Jesus. You know that song, don't you? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, and then onward Christian soldiers. See, to whatever extent a follower experiences persecution, you can take joy in the fact that other people have gone ahead of you. And they've taken a stand that puts you in a very elite group. And Jesus said, if you want to be more than happy, stay faithful to him, even when you are mistreated for his name. The third thing I want to say is that true happiness is contagious. Jesus concludes with a few verses I'm going to add on. In verse 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in Jesus' day, salt was not used so much to flavor food, but rather to preserve food, to keep it from going bad. And that's the role that people of Jesus have always played in our society. I want you to think about it for a moment. Imagine if all of the hospitals, all of the schools, all of the soup kitchens, all of the homeless shelters, all of the orphanages that were founded in the name of Jesus suddenly ceased operation. Would the world be better or worse? I think it would be a whole lot worse. What if all the people whose lives have been changed through the ministry of the church were suddenly to go back to being what they used to be before they knew Jesus? Things would be a whole lot worse. So when we live the way we are supposed to live, then we are salt. Then we are preservative. Jesus also says you are the light of the world. Now, when we live the way we're supposed to, we lead other people out of darkness and into the light. That's why he can say, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know what is going to be preached in your churches next week, but they're going to move on in the Gospel of Matthew. And if your pastor preaches about it next week, he may be talking about performing acts of piety in public, but that's not what he's talking about here. What he is saying is, this abundant life you've been given ought to be out there for people to help make some changes and help put some light on people who might otherwise be in the darkness. Now, Jesus can make you happy. He doesn't want you to hide that happiness. Now, many of you probably grew up singing that little song, you know, the one where you hold that one little finger. You know that song? This little gospel light of mine. What are you going to do with it? Put it under a bushel? No. This little gospel light of mine. How does it go? I'm going to let it shine. How often are you going to let it? I'm going to let it shine, let it shine all the time. Now, that's exactly what we need to do. Shine our light in this world around us. There's a lot of dark places. We do it by living out the joy-filled life in Jesus. So if you really want to be happy, fulfilled, meaningful, then and then some, well, God has promised to shower you with blessings. You might want to consider these last things, what happiness really is. I find happiness to be really about three things. One of them is through surrendering yourself to God. One of the churches I've been preaching at lately has read a book called All In. And I didn't ask you that question. Are you all in for Jesus? Or are you just kind of sitting on the edge of the pool, you know, with your toes kind of dangling in? Are you all in? Have you completely surrendered and say, Lord, I'm all yours? And then give him control of your life. Lord, whatever. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that's how I began this sermon. Lord, may these words be your words. And then serve other people with a heart of compassion. This is really how to be happy. And then some. It's a happiness that we cannot and we should not hide. May God bless that journey for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Join together in singing our offertory. Thank you.